0: Yes or no? That's always the question each and every day that we have, whether we want to actually give up full control of our life to the Lord. As we look at Acts chapter 9 this week, we see the conversion of Paul, one of the great apostles and messengers of Jesus Christ's gospel in the world. And Paul gave God his yes He had a supernatural encounter, of course, but then Ananias also gave God his yes and placed his hands upon Paul and prayed for him and was an instrument in helping Paul see his calling. Each and every one of us has a choice whether we want to give God our yes or not because God wants our yes, God uses our yes, and ultimately God yields fruit from our yes. So may you give God your yes today. May this message and this time spent in Acts chapter 9 inspire you. So we're continuing with the book of Acts study, and we have a couple more weeks, and hopefully you're uh, possibly doing the reading plan as we move through this book, this great book of the Bible, actually. Uh, It's a book that is influenced by the Holy Spirit. There's supernatural Things happening all the time, from healings to to all sorts of uh, encounters and conversions that are going on that are extraordinary. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter nine today, which is Paul's conversion story. And look forward to uh, sharing what God has placed in my heart. And we're basically just going to walk through the portion of Scripture today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to get to that Scripture here in a moment. But in Acts chapter nine, if you want to open your Bible, your Scripture, on your Uh, tablet or your uh, phone, however you have it. There's also Bibles in the uh, pews for all those guests here today as well, but uh, we would encourage you to do that. We'll get to that here in just a moment, Acts chapter 9. So about six weeks ago, I had uh, some pain after a workout. And it stayed with me for a couple of uh, days and it continued on beyond a couple of days. And it was in my abdomen and basically kind of started resonating into my groin area. And it it sort of had a little dull pain in my hip and I wasn't sure what it was. I went to Dr. Google and Dr. Google helped me uh, figure out that possibly it was a uh, sports hernia. And so that's what Dr. Google said that it possibly could be. Wasn't quite sure exactly what it was. I I gave it some time to rest. So I took a couple of weeks off of working out and it really didn't get any better. It actually, in the morning when I would wake up, when I had been sedentary, uh, you know, all night long, it sort of even hurt worse. And so it was strange. So I probably about six to seven years ago, I learned the benefit of uh, sports chiropractic doctors. And I went to uh, found a recommendation, went to a sports chiropractor here a couple of weeks ago. And she put me through a battery of tests and things, movements, and asked me all these questions and when the pain came and when the pain didn't come. And we did some moves and we did some squats and she made me stand on one leg and she made me stand on the other leg. And then she made me do like glute bridges and all sorts of different things that would test my hip out, test my groin area out. And then she stopped. She said, I think I got it figured out. And, And she looked at me and she said, you have a weak glute on your right side. My glutus maximus muscle, I guess, is sort of weak. There's multiple uh, pods of that muscle, but over here on the right side. And so when I actually walk or when I do an exercise or things, I don't engage it very much. Thus, when I don't engage my glute muscle, it puts massive amount of pressure on my hip, causing huge tightness in that muscle right there, as well as my knee. And there's a reason why I have a lot of knee pain on my right side. Now, what she did is she began to treat me. She gave me some exercises that I could do to strengthen my glute muscle. And I went back to working out as well. But it's amazing what stretching will actually do when you know where the problem is. And it's amazing how I have had to sort of change my life altogether. This wasn't just a treatment thing. This was, went beyond treatment. This is something where when I actually walk, I have to think about tighten your butt, tighten your butt, tighten your butt. I don't know if I can say that in church, but I did. Anyway, but on the right side, I have to say that. And so it's very strange. And you probably don't have that problem. So you're looking at me like, that is the weirdest thing in the world. But um, for me, it was actually one of the treatments that she did. Has anybody ever had acupuncture you know, okay. Um, well, we did dry needling. Anybody know what that is? Anybody have that? And so that's basically where they take your acupuncture needles and go further into your body, into the almost the bone. And then they sort of crank it around a little bit where you have that tightness. And it begins to loosen up that tightness in there. Now, I did that and I sweated the entire time. I mean, I got up after that treatment and it was just like a bed of water, you know, on the treatment uh, bed. So anyway, uh, it was quite interesting. But I think about that. This is not just treatment, like I was saying. This is gonna have to be a life change for me, a life conversion on when I think about it, how I use my right side, how I engage my glute. We're talking about Acts chapter 9 today, and there's a story of a conversion. And with the Apostle Paul, it's not just a religious conversion. It's not just one of those things like, hey, I just needed a little bit more data, and oh yeah, now I understand that. It's not that. For Paul, it was a life conversion. A true conversion in Christ is a life conversion, it has to do with our attitudes. It has to do with our actions. It has to do with our lens that we see life. It has to do with our purpose and our affections. When you face cancer, breast cancer, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? It changes your attitude. It, it, it changes your actions. It changes your lens in life. With any illness as well, but. So that's, that's that true conversion in Christ. It begins to change things. And it did for Paul. Tamoxifen is a drug that Dr. Jordan spent a lot of his time in his life. And it's sort of accredited to him that he took tamoxifen and, and figured out how you could use that to fight cancer, fight breast cancer. Now, I'm taking my life into my hands here, uh, talking about his research as he sits right here. And so I've given $20. So if I'm wrong, he just keeps saying yes, whether I'm wrong or not. But anyway, there, uh, there is an enzyme in your body that your body produces. It's called CYP2D6. Is this correct? Pretty well. well okay, anyway. anyway. I'm, getting, I'm hanging. He's hanging with me. So at least I haven't gone too far. But anyway, to get the full benefit of tamoxifen, I heard, I read something in this paper that said it, this enzyme converts tamoxifen to an active form within your body and if you don't have that enzyme working fully if you have an abnormal CYP2D6 enzyme uh, or or you take certain medication that can stop you getting the full benefit of tamoxifen so there's a conversion that goes on within your body so that you can get the full benefit of this medicine now conversion is essential Conversion is essential with medicine. Conversion is essential with this drug. Conversion is essential in our life in Christ. And so Paul has this extraordinary conversion. And it's essential to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's part of the book of Acts, is that we can read the book of Acts and we can see how this mission of the early church began to spread from the apostles to every member of of the church and then throughout the world. Now, I'm challenged when I read about Paul's conversion. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged to ask myself some questions. The big question for me that arose as I was reading this and studying it is this What could God do through you if you went all in, as Paul did, by saying, by giving God complete control of your life? I mean, what could God do? through you or through me if we went all in by, as Paul did, by giving God complete control of our life. Now, you might be saying to yourself, God has complete control of my life. Maybe, oh, it happened 20 years ago. It happened 10 years ago. I had that conversion. I had that that experience in my life where I said yes. I think we're challenged by Paul's conversion and by the scripture to say, do we say yes every day? Our yes is vitally important. And I think there's some main points we can learn today. And I'm going to give them to you before we go forward. God wants our yes first. Okay, God uses our yes. And then God yields kingdom fruit in and through our yes. Pretty simple. It's just that yes part isn't always as simple. Now the apostle Paul, he said yes in this story. And God used him to reach the multitudes in the world through Christ, through the gospel message. But then there's this other guy named Ananias. And Ananias plays a a little small portion of our story today, but Ananias' yes was work behind the scenes that not a lot of people knew about, but ultimately God needed. And so I want to start out with verse one and two. If you have your scripture, let's turn to one and two. If you're taking notes, uh, there'll be some helpful hints along the way. Let's just walk through this together. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. So you hear Saul, right? We, we're reading Saul in this portion of scripture. If you don't know, um, I'm gonna call him Paul, but scripture calls him Saul at this moment. Saul is the Hebrew for Paul, and Paul is the Greek For Saul, okay? And so we know him by Paul after this conversion story because he is the (coughs) messenger to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And so he goes by Paul. Scripture goes on. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, um, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem and change. So basically what Paul was gonna do is he was gonna arrest them, bring them back and change, and ultimately that was gonna lead to their death. So he was part of murdering them. Paul was a man who was at Stephen's death, martyrdom. him, Stephen, when we heard about last week with Pastor Cheryl, he was holding the coats. Paul was the biggest threat to the early church and Christians at this moment and this time. Because they weren't just words anymore. This was a man who was taking action. And he was trying to enslave people, basically put them in prison, and ultimately they would be killed. Now, he was a confused man at this time in his life. He was confused because he thought he was protecting God. Paul thought he was protecting the great Jewish faith, and he was willing to be a hate-filled man to do it. He was willing to actually break the law of God, which said, do not murder. He was willing to participate in the murdering of these Christ followers, and so he was confused. Verse three and four says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Now, if you had a light from heaven, anybody had a light from heaven shone down around him Um, lately? I don't know, I'd be freaked out. You know, I'm just saying, even as a pastor, I'd be freaked out because that's way different than anything I've ever experienced. And so I'm sure Paul was like, holy cow, and he couldn't see and he's covering his eyes, closing his eyes. I mean, how intense could that be, right? And so he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Paul is on this journey from Jerusalem to Damascus, and it's about 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So this is quite a journey. This would take him some time. And so he's on this journey and he experiences this encounter. He talks about this encounter in two other places. Luke actually. Records it and and he shares it in Acts chapter 9, but also in Acts chapter 22 and 26. Now, there's a huge difference between the Paul we meet in chapter 9 of Acts and at the end of Acts. So, there's this conversion, but this light from heaven again freaked him out and, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Probably in Hebrew, probably in Aramaic. Uh, one of those two, which was Jesus' native language. And, and so he also says, Why are you persecuting me? Not my people, not my church, me, he says. And so this is a huge part of the theology that Paul goes on and lives his life with because this is about that mystical union between Christ and his followers, Christ and the church, the assembly of believers. And Paul says later on, multiple times, that, that, you know, the church is like a human body, right? Christ is the head. And so there's this mystical union there. And, and so this probably shaped it. You're, you're persecuting me, Jesus says. Not, not just my people, but like literally me. So verse five and six says, who are you, Lord. And when he says that, Saul's not really, or Paul's not really just saying, Lord, like we would say, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He's just saying, sir. And so who are you, sir? Saul asks. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Immediately, Jesus says, I'm going to kind of tell you what to do. I'm going to kind of take over a little bit while you're a little confused in your life right now. So why don't you just listen to me, right? And so here's Paul persecuting the people, but Paul has this encounter with Christ that's common to all of us, especially those who uh, say that they're followers of Jesus because we've had the same experience that Paul has had. We haven't met the, the physical Jesus, right? Right? We didn't get to walk around with Jesus and talk with Jesus like Peter and Andrew and John and and the disciples and see Jesus do miraculous things. We didn't get to do that. Paul didn't either. He encounters the risen Christ. He he, He encounters the risen Christ like we encounter the risen Christ. And he also gets this call to, hey, get up and go. And if we are a follower of Christ, you've heard that at some point. Hey, it's time for you to get up and go. It needs to be about what I've got for you, not just about your plans. So God wants our yes, doesn't he? God wants our yes. And so no more it's about us doing our own thing, Paul doing his own thing. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you what to do. This is not about self-centered dreams anymore. A real conversion is about, hey, God-centered dreams, other-centered dreams. Scripture goes on, verse seven through nine. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. So this is Paul's conversion story. This is not these gentlemen's conversion story. This is for Paul, right? They kind of heard something, but they didn't see anything like Paul did. Saul picked himself up off the ground after being blinded, basically, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. He was blind. So his companions had to lead him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Paul's physical blindness, if you struggle with sight or you're blind in some particular form or fashion, it's, listen, that's a humbling experience, isn't it? Especially if you can see before. And so what God's doing, this physical blindness, is, is really the first lesson of, of a great Christ-like leader. It's to bring humility into Paul's life. Say, listen, you're going to be humble, son. You know, you're going to be humble, daughter. Right? This is the spiritual blindness, basically, a, a sort of a symbol for you know, this physical blindness, a symbol for that spiritual blindness that, that Paul was dealing with. Later on, Paul actually says in his writings, hey, we see in part. I don't even see in, you know, we see dimly, right? We see in a mirror. We don't see the whole thing. So God wants our yes, though. And it's proof for Paul in this conversion that something really did happen. I mean, the guy's blind, right? but he has his choice you know can he deny what's happened mm, probably not right now i don't know about you but in my own experience of christ that's that's been my experience is i can't deny what god has spoken into my heart and my life I mean I wouldn't be here wouldn't be here and so every day though I do think I have a yes or a no <laughs> for god you know do I am I going to say yes it's not always about just eternity. It's not always about heaven health stuff. It's, it's everyday stuff. Do I, have, do I have a yes for God, you know, or am I going to just say no? There's some marks of conversion, I think, that we can pick out and we can see. And just I want to name a few. Pride is crushed in a, in a life conversion, a, with Christ. Your pride is humility is sort of comes to the surface. Self-surrender. Kenosis happens, you know, where you have this sort of self-emptying. This You're reconciled with God because your relationship is reconciled through that relationship with Christ. You realize this world is not our forever world. And so your perspective is a little bit different and bigger. The sin that you have in your life that's keeping you from those yeses, You can't continue to embrace those. You must reject those. You must turn from them. You must repent. And then finally, I think it produces fruit. A real true conversion produces fruit. And that's what we see. Verse 10 through 16, it says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. And Ananias says, what? Yes, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. He has shown him, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about this terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So let's unpack this for a minute. There's this guy named Ananias, and he is powered by his faith. He is listening to the Lord, and he says, yes, Lord. And what he does is he ultimately finishes what Jesus started in a supernatural way. Jesus encountered Paul and started something in a supernatural way, in a spiritual way, and ultimately, Ananias is gonna help finish it. It's much like our life. God will start things that we walk into. And when we're being used by the Lord, Lord, boy, the Holy Spirit empowers us and he does some amazing things. And it's unexpected sometimes. But Ananias also was the first to hear Paul's calling because he was willing to listen to the Lord. He sort of rejected, but then then God said, hey, listen, he is my chosen instrument. He's gonna take my message. He's gonna share it with Gentiles and non-believers. I mean, this is going out there. And so go, go to this murderer, (laughs) Go to this person who hates Christians, and he's like, you're crazy, I'm not gonna do that. And he's like, listen, God sees a messenger in Paul and not a murderer, right? Because God's more concerned about our future than our past. He just uses our past to shape our future. But he also has something totally ordained for Paul, right? And he says, hey, he's gonna share the gospel. He's gonna gonna give Christ to the world. Now, Paul's calling, we hear it here. Ananias is the first one to to get that calling. And it's not to go defend the church, not to go defend Jesus. He already kind of took that track. It led to hate. He's called to go give Christ to the world. Love, hope, grace, peace, Christ. So verse 17 through 19a says, So, Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Paul, Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So here's Paul. Who, who, I mean, what's he thinking? Have you ever ever been there to where something has occurred in your life? Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's something that's going on with your family or relationship, friends, children, whatever it is. And Paul is blind and he's alone with his thoughts. He doesn't know what's going on at all. I mean, what's he thinking, right? He's praying to God. Why, God? Why, God? You know, what the heck's going on, God? You know, we've all probably been there. And God can use our yes. So, what happens is, is, he's willing to listen to God. Ananias listens to God. And then we see the power of prayer, right? Paul regains his sight. He has this co- true conversion experience because he begins to change his life. The Holy Spirit comes into his life and begins to empower him. He's baptized, he has his true conversion, and then yields some fruit. And that's true conversion. 19b through 25 says Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he's indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus's followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him, but Saul was told about this plot, their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. If you keep reading on, verse 26 actually says that he ended up in Jerusalem. It, it sounds like immediately did. Well, it says he was there for a few days, he, he, some days, your version might say, actually an indefinite time. And Paul is discipled by those Damascus believers. Paul's discipled maybe by Ananias. He, he has this boldness, this fruit becomes out of this conversion in his life. He Boldness for Christ. He has a new hope, new perspective, new direction, all those things, the tables are, are turned on the skeptic, okay? And so he's now the mouthpiece of God. And so God got his yes, and God begins to use his yes, and then ultimately, like for us, God yields God, kingdom fruit in and through our yes, or through Paul's yes. And typical reaction, they want to kill Paul for that. But Paul actually goes to Arabia for three years, you can mark this down. I'm not going to read it, but in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 24, he actually goes to Arabia for three years, and he ends up back, and he heads to Jerusalem, and that's where we pick up. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe. He had truly become a believer. Then Barabbas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Of course, they had some trust issues, fear of Paul, right? They thought, hey, maybe he's just faking it so he can get on the inside with us and then end up throwing us in jail or being a part of our, our demise. In verse 28 and 30, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him when the believers heard about this. They took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So Paul gets discipled by Peter and James, we hear. Uh, he has a specialty to debate with Greek thinkers, and, and he's been trained in that as well. Paul actually has a vision. We hear later in Acts chapter 22 that he has this vision that somebody is actually trying to kill him when he's in Jerusalem. And then also the believers warn him about that, and then they ship him away. And then we close with this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became, stro- uh, became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So we get this picture of a healthy, vibrant church filled with the Holy Spirit growing in numbers. And the book of Acts gives us that display. It's a personal growth. It's a corporate growth as Christ is then taken to the world and the nations. Let me recap and then we're done. What could God do through you or through I if we went all in? as Paul did by giving God complete control of your life. Not just one time, but every single day. Because God wants our yes, God uses our yes, and God yields kingdom fruit in and through our yes. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the choice, yes or no pray for all of us in here who need to choose yes each and every day. It's by your grace that we do that. I thank you for that opportunity. Speak loudly into all of our hearts and our minds so that we might be used to yield your kingdom fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org slash give Also would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 8.15 9 o'clock and 11.15 God bless and have a great week